All right. Well, uh, welcome, everybody. Hopefully I can do as good of a job as Bart did for the last two years. Uh, my name is Jackie Becker, and I'll be uh, be taking over for this month as the uh, chair of Parks and Rec. Uh, since we have everybody here, it looks like our first item of business is to look mm -hmm. over the minutes from both October and then we'll move on to November. So if I'm going to take a look at that and Jackie. Yes. One moment. I need to do a little brief opening. <laughs> Correct. I forgot about that. <laughs> Read your That's statement. All right. That's all right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, I have a few housekeeping items for the Zoom meeting. I'm Roger Steinbrock, the marketing specialist. Uh, specialist for the Parks and Recreation Department. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn off video. This allows the active member meeting participants to be seen on screen. You'll be still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn on your video. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individuals' videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. And now I'll turn it back over to Vice Chair Jackie Becker. All right, so let's try this again. Uh, I know last month we were unable to look at the minutes from October. So if we could start and read over the minutes and if there's any uh, comment or updates we need to do, let me know. If not, I'll be looking for a motion to approve the minutes. Jackie, if we could take both of the, take one individually, each one individually, just to put it on the record that way. Yeah, this is just for October right now. Jackie, this is Marilyn Ho. I think Val was trying to get your attention. Oh, I have a question, question about the October minutes. And I know these meetings can go really long, but I um, has anything else happened on the water tower that was on the agenda update that month? And I know the residents are still <clears throat> trying to fight that. So I, I just wondered if there was any update on that. The water tower park. This is Val Renault. Jackie, uh, Roger Steinbrock, marketing supervisor. Why don't we put that at the concern of the board so we can bring it up at that time, not during the minute review for approval? Got it. Uh, this is Marilyn Hull, board member. I would move approval of the October minutes. This is Amber Nickel, board member, I'll second. All right, so we have Marilyn Hull with a first and Amber with a second. So all in favor, I uh, believe we just do the hands, right? So say aye. 
So I see John Nelbandian, Val, Pat Phillips, Marilyn Hull, and Amber Nickel. So it passes. Thank you. Yes. If we can move on to the November minutes and give those a read over and same thing, then I'll just be looking for a motion and a second. Becky, this is Val Riddell again, and this is just a point of clarification on the, there was a mention of the Holcomb shade structure that didn't get put up when expected, but I wondered, um, Mark, does that mean they're removing the roof on the um, picnic area, or is that something new, the shade structure at Holcomb? Mark Hecker, Assistant Director, just a quick answer to that. The Holcomb Shade Structure is actually a, a new project that we're providing shade over the bleachers for those ball diamonds. So that's something that was on the CIP and it'll be, we didn't get it done this year, but it'll be done early spring. board member, I make a motion to approve November minutes. All right, so we have a first from Pat Phillips and a second from Val Renault. All those in favor, please raise your hand. And I see the hands up from everybody. And please don't mind my cat being very annoying right now, but the minutes pass. Thank you. So after the minutes, it looks like we're time for public comment. Did we have anyone sign up or someone that we're waiting on right now, Roger? I believe JT is online. JT, did you want to speak at public comment or? Here because live stream seems like The live stream is unavailable. Is that what you're saying, JT? I need to check with Porter on that. Um, okay. You didn't have public comment though, JT. student email reporter. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. He's, he doesn't have public comment. All right. So now it looks like we will be moving into our agenda items. So I see that we have our city manager here and you are our number one, Craig. So if city manager, you'd like to get us started and talk about the strategic plan. Thank you very much. City Manager Craig Owens. I am uh, really uh, pleased to be here and speaking with all of you tonight. Um, I um, have been trying to touch base with all of our um, many of our 48 boards and commissions. Uh, I'm not going to meet with all of them, but um, many of them have a significant impact on 
and um, attachment to the strategic plan. And so I'm visiting with uh, each of these boards and commissions just to uh, kind of talk to you about how it was formed, what's contained in it, the structure and framework, and then um, hopefully to answer any questions that you might have. Um, we hope uh, ideally any strategic plan is an alignment document and helps um, everybody understand together where we're headed and how um, individual and group um, contributions can help move us forward. Um, so that's really the purpose of my, my visit with you tonight. So I'll move relatively quickly and then we can get into questions and answers and, and would appreciate the dialogue at that time. So this is the city is really the second strategic plan that the city has had. Um, the prior one predated me um, and was one that kind of introduced strategic planning to the community. It was a document that was uh, built largely by the um, the uh, discussions and um, ideas of the city commission with some staff input and did serve as kind of a, a guide to what other additional new strategic priorities we should have. So a prioritization document. What it didn't do though necessarily was build from scratch uh, everything that we're in business to do. It was kind of the assumption that a lot of the other things would keep going and then we'd also do these, these strategic priorities. So it was a good starter uh, document and kind of good, a good introduction. Um, this time that we've spent um, in the last 24 months roughly um, was built intentionally off of a very solid base of listening. So we believe that it was really important that we start with a listening process. And, and uh, uh, so I asked uh, for volunteers amongst the city staff um, to come help us um, go out into the community and do that listening work so that we could, um, we could be informed by uh, the expectations of the community. I was hoping we get 20 volunteers. Uh, we ended up receiving 50 volunteers that were excited to go into the community and help us do this work. So we did some training and kind of helped to, to uh, set, this is what we're trying to get out of these interactions that we have. And, um, and we set out to try and identify uh, places that where people were already gathering, where people in Lawrence were already talking about what they want for their community and what their expectations were. Uh, we asked for invitations to those, um, those gatherings and those um, viewpoints. Um, by using 50 people from our organization that are, have their own individual unique connection with the community, it really did help us diversify how we did that outreach. Uh, we did actually, you know, ask to be invited to where groups gather, but also we set ourselves up at Sports Pavilion and, and at the library and we tabled and we tried to uh, catch people as they were living. Uh, and ask them to give us some of that feedback. So th through all of that, and then we had the the y'all come meetings, you know, at a microphone in at the Carnegie building or some other of the big facilities, just letting people have lots of ways that they could access it, but also trying to intentionally pull voices in that frequently are not invited, that aren't, um, aren't thought to be included. And that's a really important piece because uh, we understand that even if people don't participate in their, in the thought processes of the communication, they may have uh, really important needs that we need to understand and meet. So we did that process and I think it worked very well. We had 3000 contacts through that process. So a very robust listening session. We brought in those, uh, those viewpoints and we um, kind of 
collated them, organized them, curated them into um, five outcome areas. And if I can share my screen, Roger, or whoever is in control, I'm gonna share my screen here. Hopefully you're seeing the, the, the beautiful uh, five uh, dots there. This is all on our website. So anything that I'm looking, we're, I'm drawing your attention to is on our public website and all this data and information is all accessible. And that's an important part of the way our strategic plan has to work. And that's so that we get lots of engagement with the community and that everybody can see together how we're making progress. So um, we, we organized around five different outcome areas, unmistakable identity, strong welcoming neighborhoods, safe and secure, prosperity and economic security and connected city. And we kind of believe that those, those five areas kind of encapsulate a whole bunch of um, work that we have uh, set out to try and do. Um, there's a statement that's in very small print here, and I won't ask you to read it, but as you look at this, each of these has a very thoughtfully, carefully, um, painstakingly worded and crafted um, statement about what we intend or what we mean um, by each of these outcomes. Um, and we really kind of had built these with two audiences in mind. First of all, the audience was those 3,000 plus people, and hopefully there were some of you too, uh, that contributed and gave us their perspectives and asked us to represent um, what their desires were for the community. We wanted them to be able to see this document, read these words, and feel like we heard they were heard and that we reflected their interests, their needs, their concerns, their dreams and goals in these statements. So that was a very important and intentional process to try and do that. The other audience, of course, is um, the 888 um, professional staff members that will be doing a lot of this work. And I would include you also in that work as the policy advisors to the city commission. Um, you, you will be doing the policy work to continue this process and support this work. So it's important that you also have a clarity and understanding when you, you read these words that you understand what we're in, in um, efforts to try and ac accomplish. So behind each of these five um, outcome areas, we've built um, a um, scorecard of 70 to 80 key performance indicators. We know it's important when we're setting out to do difficult and complex work that will take time uh, that we um, understand how we're making progress and we're able to see indicators that we are getting to the place that we intend. So the strategic plan is, is made to be proactive and intentional. You know, so we're, we're trying to add proactivity and intention to where, what we're doing and everything that we do. Um, and so I think when you go in and look at each of these uh, key performance indicators behind each of these, hopefully you'll see that we can understand progress and that if things aren't progressing the way we'd like, that it'll give us an indication so that we can change course, so we can adjust, that we can add resources, that we can make uh, policy changes to try and achieve what we're trying to get done uh, as we ex act experimentally and we try to work together. So, um, that's 
and that's how that one is structured. I want to talk a little bit about when you go, when you click on each of these, when you're looking at the scorecard, you're going to see some really cute orange cones under construction. So um, in the few areas, and I'm very proud of the orange cones because what they signal is that we were stubbornly intent on picking the right measures that would align with what, what, what our uh, goals are so that we are measuring progress the right way, even if we didn't yet have the data. So there are some places where we had some data that was somewhat aligned, but it wasn't going to be the best progress indicator. And uh, we didn't just pick the data that we already had. We, we know that we need to build new data sets that are the right measures. So we can use this tool over the course of the next several years to do this difficult work. And hopefully longitudinally, we'll, we'll develop some um, trends and we can really use that to try and uh, create better plans and make better progress. The other really important part of this framework has made it much more complicated, more difficult, but also I believe um, much, much better. And that is we established these six areas of commitment because what we did here and what we understand is that um, what we accomplish is important, but how we accomplish it is also just as important. And so we establish these six commitment areas. They, those are community engagement, efficient and effective processes, equity and inclusion, sound fiscal stewardship, engaged and empowered teams, and environmental sustainability. These represent commitments to the how we do our work in all those five areas, or really anything that would, would come later if we adjusted the outcomes and if we added outcomes or if we did anything, we would still believe that these are the lenses through which we should measure our success. Um, and so when you look at the scorecards in the outcome areas, you'll see that there are measurements, there are indicators for success that align with each of these commitments as well. So we, re we really can't shortchange any of these. We've got to honor all of these commitments as we're making progress together as a community. Otherwise, it really won't sustain and we won't be, um, we won't be really making um, progress the way we would like to as a community. So that's an important additional piece. So that's the framework. Um, a lot of effort has gone into this. I, I should say um, it also is not perfect. Um, so a lot of work has gone into this. As we start to use this as a tool and we start to do our work, we know that we'll see things that we'd like to adjust. That's an important thing that we need to be ready to do. Um, we, as we evolve and make progress, we may want to challenge ourselves with additional things. This will be a framework we can use and that will continue to grow with us as the community changes and as we get better as a community and go to where we'd like to go. With that, I'll pause for any questions that you might have or any comments or suggestions. Uh, Craig, this is John. This is John Nalbandian. Uh, Craig, I know um, that the city of Olathe does uh, fairly frequent, actually, resident surveys by ETC. And I know you're familiar with that. Um, but I don't think that we've, we don't have a history of a lot of uh, a sort of systematic engagement. 
Um, where, where, where are you with, with that type of thing? City Manager Craig Owens, um, that's a great question. Uh, so we have run one since I've been, come to town two and a half years ago. Uh, and it is something that we are going to get into a regular annual uh, habit. Um, and the reason uh, that it's extra important now is that when you go to look at the key performance indicators that we've picked, um, almost all of the outcome areas have a community engagement uh, key performance indicator that is tied back to our annual citizen survey in various ways. I'll also add that it is, um, we're going to oversample that survey so that we can have reliable data mm -hmm. on subsets um, of our population, demographic subsets of our population to ensure that their experiences and the feedback that they're giving uh, is equitable. Um, and so that, that is, those are hardwired built-in key performance indicators across uh, several of the outcome areas. Any other questions from the board? If not, uh, yeah, uh, John Nalbandian. Craig, another another point uh, that you might consider is I don't think that there is very much uh, systematic um, sort of orientation of advisory boards with the city council or city commission. And I think it would really be helpful from time to time if we really did engage in a conversation with the city commission about what, what do they expect, what do they need from the advisory boards. City Manager Craig Owens. Um, yes, I agree. Um, they are you know, nearly 400 people that serve on our 48 boards and commissions. Um, and um, so I absolutely agree. That is a lot. All of you are volunteers and deeply passionate about your community and are, are appointed uh, because you are the trusted advisors to the city commission. And um, it, it's really in that spirit that I'm visiting you tonight to um, outline this and draw your attention to the policy document of the strategic plan so that we get that alignment, so that you have a clarity. And I think uh, joint meetings and interactions that can happen formally or informally are also a way to do it. But I want to be super clear as I was with uh, when I met with all the employees and small groups over 65 meetings, this is our policy document of what we are in business to do. And so it is the policy statement articulated by the city commission of, of where we're trying to go as a community. And so I, I think both of those things and, and other devices and tools are gonna to be important uh, alignment mechanisms as you do your work as staff does its work and as of course the city commission represents the community in the policy work and decisions that they do.
All right, any last questions, anyone? If not, Craig, City Manager Craig Owens, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to go over what our new city plan is for this. Thank you. I really appreciate it. City Manager Craig Owens, I really appreciate it again. Thank you all for your service and all the work that you do to keep us, uh, keep us moving forward. And I'm sorry I cut in front of the roots, really an exciting part of your agenda, and that's Lindsay Hart. So I'll let you get on to that. But uh, thank you all very much. Okay. All right, so it looks like we are now moving on to agenda item two. This is uh, Jackie Becker. Sorry, I need to get into saying that. Uh, so we need to introduce uh, the assistant director of Parks and Rec, Lindsay Hart, welcome. Hey, uh, Dirk Rogers, Director of Parks and Rec. I'll uh, read a just quick bio and let uh, Lindsay fill in the details that I miss. Um, Lindsay comes to Lawrence with 17 years of experience from uh, Leewood, Lenexa, and Overland Park. She's been in aquatics and special events supervisor. She's also served as a rec superintendent, and most recently at Overland uh, Park and Recreation as a recreation program manager. Lindsay is a member of CARE-PA and NRPA, and she's received a bachelor's degree from K-State. Eh, okay. Oh, yeah, you got one thumb up. I'm, I'm a KU at heart. Uh, she's a graduate of many training programs, and some of these include Leadership Intensive, Intensive Program, Tomorrow's Leaders Institute, Revenue and Development Management School, all through CARE-PA, as well as Leadership Lenexa. Her passion for public service experience and skills will be a great addition to our department. With that, Lindsay, take it away. Thank you, Derek. I think you covered everything, but I'd just like to say thank you to everyone for being so welcoming. And I'm really looking forward to getting to know all of you as I've been getting to know all the staff the last few weeks. So uh, it's gonna be a really fun journey and I'm ready to, to jump in and get started. Hi, Lindsay, board member John Blazik. Hey, are you going to move to Lawrence? <laughs> I've been asked that quite a bit. I don't know yet. I currently live in Lenexa, and I have uh, a nine-year-old daughter. And so my husband and I have, have talked about, you know, the possibility of that. So I can't say for sure, but uh, I definitely uh, love this community and have really enjoyed being a part of it so far. And um, I, I don't hesitate one bit to, to hop on K-10 and, and come up here for the weekend. So uh, I've already been here quite a bit and I'm really enjoying it so far. Lindsay, this is Pat Phillips, board member. I just want to welcome you. Um, and also want to know, have you had experience working with advisory boards in your past jobs? Yes, I have. I in, in my past positions, uh, specifically with City of Leewood and City of Lenexa, I was uh, I attended every park board meeting monthly. So I'm actually very familiar uh, and, and comfortable attending these meetings as well as city council making presentations and, and things like that to the various boards and commissions. Thank you. Uh, John Nalbandian. Um, Lindsay, can you, uh, you've worked for a number of cities in the metro area. Can you share with us uh, some of your thoughts on what 
you know, what was really cool about working in Lenexa and Overland Park in terms of Parks and Rec, things they did uh, that you really like, wow, that was cool. Sure. Um, um, the, the longest part of my career was with the city of Lenexa uh, for 10 years. And that was really neat to see um, the development they had with Lenexa City Center, and uh, which is at 87th and Renner, uh, a big development they put together oh, yeah. included the public market and the library and the Shawnee Mission School District Pool. It was a really neat collaboration. I thought that the organizations worked well together and it, and it really brought the community together uh, with some really neat collaborations. And I was really lucky to be a part of that and, and helped develop um, quite a bit of programming and, and some of those relationships. And um, I think, and I just like to clarify, it was actually the city of Olathe, not Overland Park, um, but they're, they're so close to each other, it, it, it can get confusing. Um, Olathe is working on some similar concepts, trying to connect with uh, the library and you know some of their other community partners. And so I, I see some of that here as well. And I, I know that as uh, part of the strategic plan that that's something that we wanna work on connecting these partners. And so I feel like I, I kind of have some of that experience and, and I'm jumping into a similar concept, which is I think really great for the community. And Lindsay, John, now, Bandy, and again, didn't um, uh, didn't uh, Lenexa make a major commitment to uh, environmental sustainability uh, with that lake? And is that, am I thinking wrong? Or there was something about that. I think Ron Norris was there. I don't know if you were there when he was there. Yes, and again, I apologize, Lindsay Hart, assistant director. Um, I'm not announcing myself when I speak. Um, Ron Norris actually left right when I started Lenexa, which was about 10 years ago. And uh, they had just built Lake Lenexa. But yes, yeah. it was a big stormwater project. And, and I know that's, that's a big uh, you know, piece that they, that they are focusing on and continue to you know, keep at the top of their list. Hey, Lindsay, this is Marilyn Hull, member. I just want to welcome you and say how pleased I am that you're um, doubling the gender diversity of the senior staff and also bringing the average age down. Nothing against all y'all that have been working so hard for so long, but I think having um, a little bit more youthful representation on the staff is going to be super important as we make sure that um, our younger residents and newer residents um, are listened to and that their recreational needs are, are considered. So welcome. Thank you. Hi, Lindsay, this is Val Renault. I'd also just like to welcome you and say we really look forward to, to working with you. Thanks. Uh, Jackie Becker, of course, I already said welcome, but I was curious, is there anything so far in the time that you spent in Lawrence that has really surprised you so far about Parks and Rec that you didn't see in other places where you've worked so far? I would say it, not necessarily surprised, but it was just really reaffirming that we have a great staff 
and everybody is very passionate and welcoming. As I said, I've gotten to know everybody, you know, as, as quickly as possible. And, and, you know, there's still a lot of time for that, but we have a really great team and they're passionate about, about what we do. And so that's very exciting for me. And I'm really looking forward to working with them moving forward. Anyone else? All right. If not, uh, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, on behalf of our board, we look forward to working with you more. And uh, as a lifelong swimmer, I, I look forward to seeing all the skills you have with uh, helping us with some of our pool situations and concerns we've had coming through recently. So it's really nice to have you on board. So I think with no other comments for Lindsay, I think we could move on to our next agenda item, number three, which is an update on seasonal recruitment. And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Uh, Lindsay Hart um, has been very active with the aquatics department in this area and I'll let her uh, fill you in. Sure, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Uh, we actually do have a follow-up meeting tomorrow, so hopefully I can, uh, can have some more information here in the next week or so. However, um, prior to when I started, um, I know HR met with our aquatic staff to discuss some, uh, some ways we can boost the recruitment efforts. And I know um, one big thing that uh, we just um, were able to approve is a, a staff referral bonus um, is going to now be $150 um, to try and help us, you know, recruit and, and spread the word, um, you know, via current staff. So we're excited to announce that. And um, again, we're currently working on other efforts, which uh, include, um, you know, really just the, the marketing aspect. I know Mark uh, Rogers is going to be helping us quite a bit with this with Instagram and uh, some newspaper articles, as well as making sure uh, New hires understand that we offer free training, uniforms, things like that, which which is a big deal and, and hopefully a, a bonus to many staff, as well as uh, we're discussing offering a, a shift differential pay for the difficult hours as far as the really early shifts and things like that. So so again, we're we're hopefully going to get some of those wrapped up tomorrow. Um, but I I was excited to announce that we were able to increase the referral bonus to one hundred and fifty, and we're hoping that that will really help. This is Pat Phillips, board member. Um, Lindsay, I think that referral bonus is, is a great idea. I've, all, I've had it work very successfully in, in where I work. Um, I also saw advertising at um, the Aquatic Center already for the position, so I think that's always smart to get it out there right now. So, well done. All right, so uh, let's see our next one. If there's nothing else with seasonal recruitment, our next agenda item is number four, 
And it's the uh, COVID update face covering policy. We can get some information on that, please. Okay. Um, I can go over the face covering and I can go over the COVID. I would say Roger knows the COVID better than I do, but Roger will correct me if I miss anything. How's that? He keeps a, an eye on the stats for us. And unfortunately, we just keep going the wrong direction. I'm sure you're uh, well aware we've started the spike up. The 14-day rolling average is an all-time high. Previously, it was 42.14 back on September 15th when there were 812 cases, uh, total cases increased by 39, 6% plus, and the 14-day rolling average increased by 7%. So looking at the December 13th numbers, what's that? <laughs> um, page. Our current average daily case counts, 42.79, 14-day moving average. Number of current active cases, 651 which is good, it's lower than our, our past high. Um, a very important number is uh, current number of COVID inpatients, OMH is 15, is that still correct, Roger? Yeah, it went down from 18. So we're down from 18. Um, looking at, if you looked, I don't have the chart, but we, we kind of plateaued and then it took a big spike up um, as of Monday today. Um, and if you look at the Lawrence Douglas County Public Health uh, numbers, we're in the yellow. The yellow runs from a 14-day moving average of 25 up to 50, and active uh, number of cases active uh, runs from 500 to 1,000 in, in there. So we're going in the wrong direction. Um, currently, with our masking, uh, we were when we were in the green, which spiked up dramatically. Um, we went back to mass recommended if you're vaccinated. That's on your honor. We're not checking cards. Unvaccinated mass required in our facilities. When you're exercising, whether you're, you're playing sports, you're down on the uh, courts, you're on a cardio machine, you're lifting weights, you can take your mask off. Um, encourage social distancing. Uh, Lawrence Douglas County Public Health through, I think it's about December 22nd, our health order is still uh, kids age two to 11 must wear masks. So that's our coaches, our referees, um, anybody that's in our program class instructors need to wear a mask when they're working with that demographic. We don't have any guidance from the city yet, but my expectation just looking at the numbers is we'll be back, back to mass required to enter our facilities um, here shortly. Um, I think we'll, we can meet the intent and follow the Douglas County Public Health Guidelines and we'll continue to monitor it and be dynamic in how we comply with the, uh, the county recommendations going forward. With that, I'll open it up to any questions. This is Marilyn Hall, board member. The last uh, time I was in the sports pavilion, masks were required around the track, but they were not required in the weight areas and the cardio uh, machine areas, or uh, and not in the in the lower level courts. I was just wondering what was the justification for that, and if you're going to continue 
differentiating between who's on the track and who's in other parts of that big open space. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation and conferring with our risk management department in the city, uh, the recommendation was based on uh, the socialization aspect and the proximity to others. Um, our recommendation was to be more open and uh, we follow the recommendations of our, our, our city that saw something um, more at a risk and took a conservative approach. Um, it, it's something that we'll continue to have a discussion about with, with them. And I, I think you're right. If you're jogging around a track and you're spaced, then, you know, to me, that's no different than being on a basketball court or on a cardio machine or in the weight room. But uh, there are people that just get on the track and just walk and talk and not social distanced. But I think that was a rationale. Mark's shaking his head because he's on instant command. He probably knows more than I do. <laughs> yeah, Mark Hecker, assistant director. Yeah, I can give you a little vision as to where we're going, I believe. So the incident command, which is made up of police fire risk management, ever all the major departments of the city. I think what we're going to try to do is try tie directly to the green, yellow, red that the health department puts out. So this recently we went green for a very, very long time, but we stayed with mass on. So actually, if you look at the green requirements of the, uh, the health department, mass are recommended, but not required. So we want to be a little nimble each way. So we were really, really conservative. We were green for a couple of months and we stayed with masks on. And then right as soon as we decided masks were optional, we went to yellow. So that's the goal for tomorrow's meeting is to try to hash that out a little bit. It's, it concerns not only public buildings, but staff, um, you know, how do we do meetings? Do we do stay virtual like this or do we come in person? So um, I look for that to be a fairly cut and dry based on Lawrence Douglas County Health. Uh, this is John Nalbandian. Um, you know, I just want to uh, put in a good word for the staff. Uh, there have been times when I've gone to the, uh, when masks were required, and I would walk into a facility and, you know, not have my mask, and didn't seem like staff was reluctant at all to say, you need a mask, you know, and I just, like, I was really grateful for that, because it wasn't like I was defying wearing a mask. It was just like I forgot it or it was around my neck or something. So anyway, just if, if staff has any doubts about the value of them speaking up, at least, oh, at least one of us feels like, thank, thank you. Derek Ryder, Director of Parks and Recreation. I'll have pass that on the staff. We have our get together. I think you're all invited to that the holiday party tomorrow, which will be social distancing indoors at the community building. Um, but yes, we'll pass on that. I know that's appreciated. That's not the, uh, it's kind of a thankless job to remind people to wear a mask. I don't care where you are, whether you're a private business or in a rec center, that uh, isn't always well received. So I appreciate that. 
Uh, Jackie Becker. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's a thankless job to have to tell people to put their masks on. So absolutely staff pushing through this whole year, basically having to tell people to do that. It, it, it's most appreciated in our community to know that we're doing our best to try to get back to the green. So thanks. Uh, any other comments or questions for this? All right. I do not hear any, so we're going to move on to our next agenda item, which is uh, number five, the update on the emergency winter shelter, which I believe is you, Derek. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Uh, yes, we started this, looked like uh, the week of October 31st and November 6th, um, and it's been based on weather. So in the orange journal world for Castle weather, it'd be 35 degrees, below 35 degrees, they open the winter shelter first building is the community building and we can host up to 75 individuals. The uh, backup, if that ever gets reached, we will overflow to the East Lawrence Center. Um, the numbers, I'll just use this last week, December 5th through December 11th. Our highest occupancy has been 13. Uh, our lowest since inception has been about two, but this last week, um, was ranging quite a bit higher, it got a little cooler. And then of course this week we're into a warm snap. Uh, the expectation is when we start to get colder, more people will start to come in. If they've got a, a, a nice place to camp, they don't probably want to leave their belongings to come indoors for a night or two, then go back out. Uh, we have had staff, we have volunteers. I think we are well prepared with the numbers we have to run the program. Um, Incidents have been low or, you know, there's been a few things that would be expected when um, uh, you're running a program like this, but they really haven't been nowhere near anything like we had last year with the hotels. So very promising. And I think staff's doing a fantastic job and really appreciative of all the volunteers and the, uh, donations are coming in for the group. And with that, I'll take any questions. Derek, John Nelbandi, and I don't know why I'm so talkative tonight, but uh, I do have a question. Um, I know, like, is there, has there been discussion, conversation about having resources available at the, um, at the, um, you know, at the center? I mean, resources meaning a mental health professional or a, a, uh, a medical person or, you know, someone there who, uh, not every day, uh, but from time to time, who uh, could provide uh, some service or some comfort to uh, some of the people who are there? Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I am not aware of anything formalized or a day of the week. I'll have to pass it on to uh, Mitch Young who is the coordinator of the winter emergency shelter and ask him, I, I know Bert Nash has been heavily involved and uh, so has shelter volunteers. Um, our staff have had the de-escalation training. Uh, happy to report, we opened that up to our staff and they had over 83 people uh, take that. So I, not only is it great for working for with a population that struggles, but even just working in a rec center or, or working out in the park, 
Um, the know-how to de-escalate a situation is, is fantastic. So, John, I'll pass on your recommendation to uh, Mitch and see if I can't get some updates on that. This is Pat Phillips, board member. Um, Derek, how has this affected or has it affected any changes in program locations? And, and if so, has there been any problems from those participants um, as far as those changes? Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation, and Lindsay can feel free to step in uh, with anything she has. Uh, one of the things that we noted, East Lawrence Center is, is an overflow um, location, but we don't see that being impacted for a while, although they changed their hours, which normally would have been eight to eight, like Holcomb to nine to six. So going into the winter break, um, you have a lot of parents, and East Lawrence Center was developed, I think, in part for a, uh, um, a latchkey population of kids. And so we wanted to make sure that we were available for the, that population of kids that maybe don't have anywhere to go. They don't feel like they're being, they don't know they're being supervised when they go to Rec Center, but they are. So we got the hours open back up to eight to eight. Um, for the break. So we'll have kids there, which is same at Holcomb. Uh, community building, I believe, is nine to six. If for some reason we need to expand over the East Lawrence Center, then we would adjust hours accordingly to make sure we can clean the facilities, do what we need to do. Um, to your question, Pat, I would say yes. Um, I live with an individual that takes yoga classes and does other things. And so, yeah, I, I hear about, uh, you know, we need more space and, you know, what about the Carnegie and, you know, what about using this? And so, yeah, that's, that's a little struggle for staff to try to make sure that they have enough room and time available for their programs and classes. Um, Lindsay, I don't know if you have anything to add or thoughts. Yeah, Lindsay Hart, assistant director. I'll, I'll just um, echo what Derek said. And, you know, in, in the short amount of time I've had to speak with staff, um, they have mentioned some concerns just about programming and things that would normally be held, um, you know, at some of these facilities that they've had to move elsewhere, just knowing that it, it is now being used for the shelter. However, we have a very creative staff and they've been able to, to move things around and, and they're making it work. So while it's not ideal, uh, you know, we're still able to to offer, I think, um, some really good quality programming. So, yeah, and as Derek mentioned, the hours at the East Lawrence Center will be expanded 8 to 8 starting December 20th. So we're excited for that. And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation, one other um, um, thing on hours. I know pre-COVID we had Sports Pavilion Lawrence open at 530 in the morning we've had a lot of requests to bring that back right now. It still opens at seven. Um, we had a great group of part-time staff that liked to come in. They knew everybody when we walked in the door at 530. Um, we lost that capability. And so we're trying to get back to opening up at 530. It's finding the individuals that uh, are willing to come in at that hour. And that might be part of that uh, incentive on hourly pay. If you're willing to come in and work at 5.30 in the morning, may we pay you a little bit extra. Uh, this is John Nelbandian again. Uh, Derek, I was reading in that, uh, in your national bulletin or that we get, the monthly, 
uh, about how important uh, playgrounds and being able to play is for kids. And I was wondering, given the initiative that the school district is taking with Kennedy School, former Kennedy School, to make it a kind of a child development thing, whether uh, Parks and Rec is involved in it at all. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I've had no contact with the school district on uh, the Kennedy School. Um, I always am intrigued and am always looking for opportunities with large buildings that might have other possibilities and Kennedy obviously being one of them. Um, so that, that's something we'll have to reach out to uh, the school district and ask them if we couldn't be part of the plan. I think that would be really cool and, um, and would appreciate uh, you um, coming back to us and letting us know whether or not Parks and Rec has been able to connect with the school district re regarding uh, that uh, Kennedy School. Director of Parks and Recreation, they'll reach out to the school district and report back right. in January. Uh, Jackie Becker here. Thanks, Derek. Any other questions regarding the shelter? All right. I'm not seeing any more. So it looks like we'll go on to our next update, which would be about La Yarda. Mark Hacker, Assistant Director. Um, so I, I want to report Marilyn really hasn't done what she said she would do. I was a little disappointed in her, but oh wait, that's me. I'm sorry. So yeah, I read that wrong. No, I honestly, I haven't had time to, to move that forward. Um, that just tied up with year-end budgeting and whatnot. So we need to get with that group and just kind of talk about what we can and can't do. Unless Marilyn has a better report than I had. No, I don't have a report. I was just uh, sort of waiting for you to make that contact uh, because I've been approached by Livewell Lawrence, which is applying for a major grant that has some different community engagement parts to it. And one of the things they'd like to include in the grant is um, potentially working with the Mex Mexican-American community on some sort of Layarda um, recognition, whether that's along the loop trail or, or, or elsewhere. So they've been kind of waiting to hear from me. And, I, and so that's why I've been pressing you a little bit on, on that is um, there are other community members who um, have a deadline of a grant proposal and they're trying to get a report back from us on what the reaction was of um, the folks we met with to what we can and can't do. Mark Hecker, Assistant Director. Marilyn, did you want to maybe just spearhead getting a meeting set up? And I don't know what your timeline is, but I just need to make time to, to be with you on that. Yeah, I can do that. Thank you. I appreciate you. Even though I'm a little old compared to Lindsay, that's what I hear. Lindsay's older than she looks. She's like almost 60. 
Uh, Jackie Becker here. At least, Mark, you do have a K-State person with you now, so you, you shouldn't push it too much, right? <laughs> uh, I do Marilyn, feel good about that. <laughs> Marilyn, do you know when the grant was going to be due? So we kind of know on our, where we're working from, from the Parks and Rec perspective, from the LiveWell side? I don't, but I can easily find out. Um, and we can report back. It sounds like if, if I take some initiative and try to get Mark together with um, Norm Murphy and anybody else to figure out what, you know, really what, what those folks want to do next as the next step. Um, I can report back to anybody that's interested. Great. Thank Jackie back here. Thank you for that, Marilyn. Uh, obviously, as someone who's also part of the La Yorta committee, I definitely am excited to hear that LiveWell's taking, you know, hearing it and hoping to create some, you know, working with our Mexican-American community to definitely have that history available to show everyone in our community. Any other comments or questions on La Yarda? All right. If not, we're going to move on to agenda seven, which is the trail additions and improvements for Hobbs and Haskell with the Lawrence Loop. Mark Hecker, assistant director. If you haven't been by, the trail section through Hobbs is done, <coughs> which goes all the way down to 8th Street. So it's kind of a nice addition. There's probably some signage we need to do to kind of direct people through that section. And then also down to 29th Street, which is a lot of times people don't get by there. That section's actually done too, or 95% done. Um, that was probably the most difficult part of the whole project because it, it uh, was expanding a drainage culvert and coming up with right away along that edge. So that's getting really close, should be done in the next week or two. Um, other trail projects we still have, still in the works on the one, from over by Hallmark, so Peterson Park over to Michigan. So we're ready to bid that project. And that one, if you recall, actually goes under the, the turnpike entrances into the city. So it's a pretty substantial project, <coughs> excuse me. And the other project we're having a little more difficulty with is Michigan to Sandra Shaw. So we're having some land acquisition issues in there that some of the property owners aren't real thrilled about. Uh, the trail being near or on their property. So continuing conversation there, we, we actually have a KDOT grant to construct that, but we're gonna have to come up with something on the, on the alignment. Uh, we're starting to run out of options there, to be honest. <coughs> the other project on trails is, I don't know if you recall, we were talking about doing ADA sloping for the Lawrence Loop. So where we would actually digitally map the trails and, and slopes so we can put out a, a, a system that basically anyone could go on and see what challenge areas there are. So where we've already mapped it all, we haven't got a, a produced map that we can put out, but probably in the next month or two, we lost our GIS coordinator who was doing that project with us. So we're, we kind of got a little setback, but I hope this winter we'll have that map out which I think it's going to be pretty cool. Any questions? I'd be happy to answer. Mark, what did you say that the one you're having trouble with land acquisition on is the uh, Michigan to Sandra Shaw? Right. So it basically 
where where we come across on that first project. So we're going from Peterson Park to Michigan. So it just basically stops on the west side of Michigan, go across the street. So we we have a route to come down Michigan a ways, but then when we we're cutting over to get to Sanders Shaw, there's one property owner that we need to be friends with, and he's not seeing eye to eye with us right now. So um, we'll. I don't know what we'll do with that. I don't know if we'll look at condemnation or we've offered easements and he's not really interested in allowing an easement. So <clears throat> we'll just keep working on it. Uh, Jackie Becker, vice chair. I did want to ask about, well, I love the 29th street concrete. It's really nice and smooth. I did. I was curious about, and Derek and I, we talked about this, the people turning off of Haskell off that like student area, it's still really active. Is, is there anything that we can do to make sure that our pedestrians and cyclists who are coming from Burroughs Creek and, and driving and biking on there have a right of way or, or is there anything that can be done to make that intersection a little safer for our bipedaled people? Yeah, Mark Ecker, assistant director, the city engineers actually looked at the design originally and, and we've notified them since that we have some concerns there. Um, it, I don't know. I mean, technically the bikes and, and bike ped would have right away. It's the cars that don't know that is the problem. So <clears throat> it's, it's not a great situation, but you know, I think with the way they put the, the crossing in there was, is helpful. Signage will be helpful. Um, the problem is people whip around that corner. So don't have a great solution. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Recreation. I, Jackie, I agree with you. I rode through it again today and left less traffic, but just because you're in the right, you still get hit by a car doesn't make it right. And I, I'm agreeing with Mark and the engineers that although the pedestrians and bicyclists in that crosswalk have the right of way, um, traffic in the public's gonna you have to increase their awareness if they don't do some traffic calming there um, or change how they go about trying to get around that light so we'll, we'll keep an eye on it it's still that's one of those places my head's on a swivel as soon as i come off the haskell trail between the business down there and traffic coming in and out so Thanks, Derek. Yeah, I keep thinking like, would speed bumps be a really good idea? But then there's all, all the trucks that I know need to get through. And so it is, but it's definitely those cars that are just sprinting down Haskell to beat the light that depending on where the sun's located, you know, definitely makes it difficult. So hopefully we can find a solution soon. Um, Any other comments? Marilyn, Jackie, precisely where is it that you said the problem is? Oh, it's the, it's the intersection as you come off Burroughs Trail and you take the left now, you, that's all nicely concreted for the bikes. And then it's just when you hit the, where you could go right, I don't even know the name of that road, but as you're Haskell heading Lane. your way, I'm sorry, it's what? Haskell Lane, right before oh, Haskell. Okay, so it's Haskell Lane right before Haskell. And it just, the cars go really fast around that corner. And, and I've definitely, I've ridden it twice recently just to kind of see, keep my eye on. And it's just, it's definitely still a, something we should consider for the future because it's definitely a dangerous intersection.
Any other comments or questions for the bike trails update? So now we're moving on to E, which is the concerns board member items of interest. Which I think Val, you had one from earlier that we can bring back. Yeah, Val Renault, board member. I uh, just wondered if there was a further update on the water tower park. I noticed it had been on our agenda in October. And I just walked by, by there today and saw someone had a sign that said 600 signatures strong. So I don't know, you know, what the status of any possible change in that design is. Mark Ecker, assistant director. I'm not sure there's been a change in the design. I think the city commission basically approved the location of the water tower. Now what happens around the water tower is what has potential. Uh, our plan is to come forward with a, a master plan process that will engage the community on the park itself. So in other words, what amenities do we want to see in the park? Do we want to change locations or things? So I'm, I'm pretty much going with the given that we know where the water tower is going because I think that's been determined. It's just more or less what we want to do um, around it. So. And, and in terms of the public engagement, this is Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist. Uh, we will be probably more than likely moving it into the new year in terms of that engagement in January after the holiday season is complete. Uh, Roger, does that mean you're, you'll just be working with the neighbors to explain, uh, to talk about what they want in the park versus anything about the water tower? Correct. Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist, will be engaging them on the park itself. We may have representatives from MSO with us as well, um, but for the primary purposes of what we're doing, we're looking at the park, so... This is Pat Phillips, board member. Um, I saw an article regarding um, an extension to the skate park um, in the paper. And I was just kind of curious. I, I don't recall seeing that on our CIP. And I didn't know what brought that to a decision to have monies put towards that. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. Um, the budget below 50,000 CIP items are 100,000. So we have maintenance, um, no different than we went to the pickleball group and at Lions Park, that project was $39,000 to repair the uh, concrete over at Lions. So it was one of those projects that if you looked at a Centennial Skate Park, the before and after pictures, uh, that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Mark. I think it was built around 2002. It had a renovation around 2010, 2012. Still had a lot of unusable and poor concrete. So this was a, a repair and an upgrade. So they added some amenities out there. There were some safety issues when you transition over. There was um, a user group had some photos of people crashing that were concrete related. So when working with the Lawrence Skate Association, which is a partner like the Pickleball Association, um, we decided to go ahead and repair that this year. Uh, they had a, a 
a contractor that was interested. We put the bid out and they got it. It was like 39,500 initially. The association group wanted to know if they could raise money and could add to that project. So they added to it. It still kept it under 50,000. So it didn't need to go to the city commission. We didn't have to bid it out separately again. We were able to add an addition onto that project. I would highly encourage everybody to go down there and take a look at it. It's pretty cool. I was down there uh, Friday and I was down there Saturday. Um, it changed the whole aspect of how that skate park is used. Um, before you had the kids in one corner because part of the, the concrete really wasn't that usable. Now it's moved them over to the other side and more fluid through the whole park. Yeah. Roger Steinbrock, marketing specialist. Did you take your board with you, Derek? <laughs> no, I, I will say this. I, I think sometimes there's a perception in the community that stereotypes skateboarders as a uh, um, maybe a, a, a group of people they don't want to engage with. And what I see out there more is fathers and kids or single parents and kids to individuals that like to roller skate out there. But go ahead, Pat. I, you had a follow-on question. <laughs> but, no, I just want to um, compliment on the incorporating the users with um, this the project. And, and did they also um, give some suggestions of what they wanted to see added? Yeah, great. Oh, yes. We heard lots of suggestions from the group. <laughs> they dream big, and, and that's cool. We also dream big, and we're also... Um, have multiple user groups that are seeking grant money. Um, the uh, Friends of Oak Hill Cemetery received a heritage grant, and then they had some funds of their own that they were able to raise. We have a CIP item for $100,000 in 2022, which brings that project to work in Oak Hill up to around $116,000. Um, skateboarder Group is also looking at, could we have a, a destination attraction um, so there's opportunities there. They've been working with Explore Lawrence. Um, we are working with many um, outside organizations that are seeking federal grant dollars. And um, our capability of the right grants is low, although the, with the city, I think it's going to get better. The city has contracted. Uh, learned a little bit more with the group to um, do some grant works as a city. Um, so I'm encouraged. It, it, we can give you letters of support. We can help people out. I think the limiting factor for us is the finances on these big projects. Thank you. Mark Ecker, Assistant Director. Something I might add on the, the uh, community engagement on the skate park. Basically, they designed it and we just went, okay. So they were drawing it out on napkins and we need this ramp to tie to this ramp to this rail and he skated this way and we kind of, sure, that'd be great. That'd be, and we can do that for the budget. And they said, yes. So, so that's how those got designed. Uh, Jackie, John, you're muted. Oh, sorry. Oh, go John, sorry. John, you're muted. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was on the city commission uh, when the skate park, skateboard park was first, uh, you know, and uh, suggested. And 
boy, the prejudices that we had at that time <laughs> were now are laughable, you know, but, but in, in some ways, there's some learning that's, that, that we can learn from that, I think, you know, that those prejudices were, were so mis, you know, misplaced, whatever, but looking back on it, it's like, yeah, well, we just, that was then, but maybe, maybe we had to think that there's some contemporary, um, contemporary analogs to that. Roger Stein, Broad Marketing Supervisor. Uh, I would say that I said that to Derek because I know he does have a skateboard. Uh, that's one of the things. The other thing is this is the same group that that, that created the uh, do-it-yourself uh, uh, skate park in an area that wasn't authorized and we had we took it out back in 2014 I think that was in the article um, but you know through communication with the group I, I would say these young these these folks that are in the skateboard association are great people uh, we've worked with them on a number of things uh, we actually had a competition this last uh, Labor Day weekend I think it was that we had the uh, or Memorial Day, I get those, two. I think it was Labor Day, actually, um, you know, where they, uh, they had a competition that we kind of co-sponsored with them. So, you know, I, I think those, those relationships are important uh, because they are users, you know, that's the main thing. We want to be satisfying what they do. And I think from what you heard earlier with Craig, uh, community engagement is just starting uh, with this, with the community in the city. And I, I'm, very pleased as a communicator that that will be will be furthering our engagement with the community. Uh, Jackie Becker, I just have to say, twenty years ago, John, uh, when I was working at a venue in town, we did a lot of uh, charitable events to help raise the money to help with the uh, skateboard park, and it's amazing now to see that those kids are now parents that are now helping raise the money so their kids can skate. So it's really a a fantastic way to see kids in Lawrence become parents in Lawrence and continue to give back and create space that can be for all generations, which I think this skate park is doing. So good job, Parks and Rec. Um, this is Marilyn Hull. Um, Jackie, can I move on to a different item? Absolutely. Um, and Mark, this might be for you. I, I know that um, there's a proposed annexation of land for residential development north of Rock Chalk Park. My question is, if that development goes through, is that going to change the the open character of the Baldwin Creek Trail section of the Lawrence Loop. Mark Ecker, Assistant Director. Yeah, I, I've looked at the site plan for that. I don't think that's gonna majorly impact us. It obviously put more houses closer to the property. So it may change the perimeter of that. But I think what we'll try to do is, is that develops or as it moves forward is try to get links into that um, housing area so that they could access into the paths. Uh, usually that's what we'll try to do when we have a kind of adjacent properties developing fire parks. So 
we try to make sure that they can get to the park by the means we want them to get to the park as opposed to other means. So that's awesome. And what I would like to see, I guess, is um, a buffer zone of as much as possible so that there is some green space um, on the north side of the trail. I mean, what that's one of the jewels of the loop right now because of the natural beauty there and the openness. And I'd hate to see houses come in and, and really change the character of that um, open part of the loop. So is that something that the city can ask for, you know, from the developer that there be like so many feet uh, buffer zone or something like that? Mark Hecker, assistant director. Yeah, as we as they start developing site plans, we'll start looking at some of that. The good thing about it is the concrete trail is actually not on the property line over there, so there's only one spot, which is on the far east end of the of the property, directly behind the sports pavilion, that it gets close to the property. So I don't think you would see houses through most of that concrete trail. Now, if you're up on the the soft surface trail on the far north end of the park, you obviously would, but um, yeah, we could look at, maybe there's a pedestrian easement or a landscape easement that will require on that property line. All right, any other comments? This is Amber Nicole, board member. I'm just curious if there is any thoughts or uh, updates about the Christmas light display at the sports complex. Mark Hacker, assistant director. Um, that's a fundraiser project the Sertoma Club has put together. So I think, you know, grand, grand design and then realizing the scope of the, how big the sports, you know, the youth sports complex is. I, I think they're all, you know, optimistic that they did a nice job, but they also see potential to do a lot more in the future. So it'll be interesting to get their kind of the recap after they're done on, on how it went and was it successful and did they raise the funds they're interested in raising. It, it could be a, huge, huge light display as big as that property is out there. And I think that was a little bit of the problem is when they were thinking this out, it was going to be really, really amazing. And it's so spread out. It's, it's quite a drive around there. I'd be interested if anybody's heard feedback. Any other board items of interest? All right. Uh, does this mean we're at the place where the meeting gets called? <laughs> or am I missing anything else we need to go over? Staff yeah. reports? <laughs> I didn't put that on here. Yeah, it's staff report, Derek Rogers, Director of Parks Rec. It is not on there, but I have some updates. And um, Give Lindsay a, a few seconds to think, see if she's got anything. I've uh, got some things to cover. So I'll let Mark go first and what he does and 
providing updates, I'll try to catch. If there's anything Mark wants to catch up on. Yeah, Mark Hecker, assistant director. So basically, obviously, a lot of our time has been spent with the holiday lighting and then, you know, the, the initial lighting. After that happens, then we always have the maintenance of the systems. So, yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but the whole Union Pacific Depot was dark about two days after we lit it up. Somebody came in and stole all of our cords. So that was a little disheartening that that's over $1,000 worth of cords. So we had to restring those. But um it's kind of a continuous maintenance, obviously downtown people kind of want to mess with the plugs. And so we tour down there about every night looking for things that are out and then fixing the next day. So doing a lot of that work and then leaf cleanup and normal fall end of fall stuff where we start getting into equipment maintenance and whatnot. Derek Rogers, director of parks recreation. Um, unless Lindsay has something, I'll, I'll go on to something. And if she's got something, she can harp in uh, a little bit later. Uh, real quick, we met with the Brew or the uh, Brook Creek Neighborhood Association. They had one of their meetings. They invited us to. Uh, we talked about the Woodland Park Woods, which Brook Creek Woods. Um, and what one of the things that brought this up is uh, they were wanting some trails back there, natural trails. And um, uh, municipal services operations is going to have to go out MSO and stormwater clean out the Brook Creek of log jams. So they're going to make a trail with the machinery. And so we're having the discussion how can we benefit? from the trail that they're going to make and add a couple trails. So we didn't go out and walk the woods with them the other day, but we are going to do that. So we also shared, and some of them knew the history of the woods, the Woodland Park Amusement. If you go way back to 19 teens, um, it had the Daisy Dozer. I think those footings of the roller coaster are still out there. And so it'd be neat to have the historical signs telling the history of the merry-go-round out there, the track that was out there. And as part of the hike, could you walk to some of those foundations? And the Brook Creek Trail they're gonna clear out goes clear into the Oak Hill Cemetery. So the other group we're working with is Friends of Oak Hill and uh, Lynn Zollner with uh, heritage signs, uh, historical signage um, for Potter's Field and for Oak Hill. So wouldn't it be neat if you could walk a trail through the woods and learn about not only uh, the amusement park, but also more about the cemetery. So it's a win-win. Um, working with North Lawrence, um, if, if you've drive around about Ninth Street and Highland, you see the, uh, the Hillcrest Neighborhood Association has got the big stone that identifies their neighborhood. Um, North Lawrence is working on, on signage and we have an individual who'd like to donate some uh, uh, Neighborhood Association signage about North Lawrence. It's a historical piece and that's really cool. And we encourage that for all the neighborhood associations. Um, so we're gonna meet, or I'm gonna meet with uh, them to kind of preliminarily see what they have on signage, what they would like to do in North Lawrence. Uh, telling the history. Uh, January 22nd at the Grover Barn, there's a ribbon cutting on our historical plaques, the city's historical plaques for that. Steve Watkins, Carrie Altenburn are, are running with that program. 
Uh, other thing that's interesting, uh, with the strategic plan, we're obviously under unmistakable identity, but we're also very closely aligned with uh, uh, strong welcoming neighborhoods, safe welcoming neighborhoods. Mark's a member of that uh, team. And tomorrow night's city commission meeting, Jeff Creek is the uh, team champion for strong welcoming neighborhoods or safe welcoming. I'm on that. Oh, you're on that. Yeah, too. he's not on that. Okay. Um, sorry, Roger's on the uh, Safe Welcoming Neighborhoods. But I did see part of the video that they're going to have, and I thought it was really cool. So if you get a chance to see that tomorrow night, um, I would encourage that. To John's point about the ETC survey, um, unmistakable identity, I think we've got some of the hardest metrics to come up with. And a lot of those metrics we're asking and working with uh, Porter to add ETC questions are going to help us get the data we need for our, um, our team or out, outlook. That's all I have. Anybody else have anything to add from staff? Roger? I would say that I shouldn't have worn red today with my beard that Marilyn I didn't have gray hair when I started and I actually had hair on my head. So I kind of attribute to that and I shouldn't have worn red today. So <laughs> anyway, thanks. <clears throat> Lindsay, our assistant director, I'll, I'll jump in just real quick. Uh, I think I covered most everything, but, you know, recruiting is a big um, effort we're working on right now for, for all areas and all divisions, including, <clears throat> excuse me, including aquatics. Uh, I also wanted to mention that December 4th, we had the holiday extravaganza at the sports pavilion and it was great. I think it, it was very successful and I apologize. I don't have numbers on attendance, but uh, it being my first time to attend it, I, I thought it was great. And I think staff did a really nice job. Uh, Jackie Becker, vice chair. One last question. Was Parks and Rec part of the uh, fairgrounds uh, for the uh, farmer's market this past Saturday, or is that as in someone else in the city doing that? Eric Rogers, Parks Recreation. I do not, I wasn't aware of it. And Mark has worked our agreements with uh, some of the uh, farmer's market in, in South Park, but I didn't know about that. I missed it. Yeah. It was at the fairgrounds and it was very, very, very well attended, like lines of traffic everywhere and, and whatnot. So yeah, it was, it, it seemed, I, I believe it was hugely successful. So, you know. I, I will say this about the, uh, the Christmas uh, horse parade. I'm, I think I got that right. I'm trying to be politically old fashion, Lawrence old fashioned Christmas parade. Yes. That was one of the biggest crowds I have ever seen um, in downtown Lawrence. Uh, Diane Stoddard, Stoddard, one of our assistant city managers, had the park at 17th and Tennessee and said there was a lot of folks over by uh, Central Junior High that were watching the parade from, from that intersection. Um, and then there were people parked in North Lawrence. I, it was just amazing, the turnout of the public. So that was really cool to see. Anything else from staff? Looks like we're good. So am I now at the point where it's motion to adjourn? <laughs> well, I would say Roger Steinbrock, Marketing Supervisor, we just want to reiterate the next meeting 
will be January 10th of 2022. So happy new year to you all. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. And ho, ho, hopefully you won't be wearing red with your beard next month. Cause I was going to make that joke and you beat me to it already. I was trying to bring my Bart in. Cause Bart always seems to end on a nice little cheesy joke. So <laughs> I tried. <laughs> All right. Well, if uh, no other questions or comments, I'm looking for a motion to adjourn now. This is Marilyn Hall, board member. I move we adjourn. Pat Phillips, board member. I second that motion. All right. Thank you, Marilyn and Pat. And uh, on that note, thanks everybody for my first one and we'll see you all next month. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye. Oh, nice. <laughs>